Well, good morning, Mount Airy Church. It is so good to be with you today. What an honor it is to be here and to be able to stand behind this pulpit and preach God's word to you. I want to say first and foremost how thankful we are for you. Thank you for being willing to not just give, uh, but also to partner with us in such a defined way. Pastor Keith, thank you for your leadership. Church, thank you for being willing to support us in a generous way. I can't tell you how grateful that I am on behalf of our team to say that. I love what Paul said to the church at Philippi. He said, I thank God for every remembrance of you from the first day until now, praying for you every day, but remembering and thanking you for our partnership in the gospel. And I'm so thankful that we can say that now together as churches. Isn't it awesome that the upstate and the low country can come together? You know, whether you're a Clemson fan or Gamecock, right? We can come together, right? In fact, right now, I was telling Pastor Keith, Right now, at this very moment, there are 75 Clemson students from FCA in our fellowship hall, which can't hold 75 people, by the way. They're probably scattered around outside eating pizza right now because the FCA uh, at Clemson is on spring break, and they're down, about 200 of them down descending on Charleston, and 75 of them are coming to our church to serve. They're coming to help us with emptying out some rooms that have become storage places that we need for people space, not storage space. And they're coming just to love and serve. And Monday through Wednesday, they're going to be working hard. Then they're going to be prayer walking around the community, just asking the Holy Spirit to do what only he can do. So we're just so thankful for that. And um, so that's going on right now. So after this service, we're going to head back to go hang out with those Clemson students and connect with them for the week of ministry. This is the way that the Lord is working. You know, he, he is working all the time, isn't he? Whether we see it or we don't see it, we know that God's at work. And when we pray to him, Lord, please send forth more laborers, that's exactly what he'll do because he said that, and we'll see that in the text today. Pray to me, the Lord of the harvest, and I'll send forth laborers. Well, guess what? Today's an answer to that prayer for us to labor together, and I'm so, so grateful. Now, I was telling Pastor Keith, since we had to set our clocks an hour ahead, he said, I can preach as long as I want to. Yeah, yeah, that, he didn't do that with me. He didn't laugh at me. He just said, oh, really? Is that what you think? <laughs> we're not going to I set a timer, so I know we're going to end soon. But here's the best part. He left his Bible up here. So I get to preach out of his Bible. So you know it's going to be a good message, right? Amen? Oh, y'all didn't say that strong enough now. You know it's going to be a good message, amen? Oh, that's better. Yes, sir. Well, I, I want to share with you first and foremost, again, how thankful we are Today, what I want to do is I want to look at the text of Scripture in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. And as you turn there, I just want to say a few things as we get, begin to look at that text. And the first thing is that I'm so thankful for the way that God is working in the harvest, both here in the upstate as well as down in the low country. Uh, we mentioned the name Centerpoint Church at Remount. Uh, the thing that we're really trying to lean into as we try to reach others with the gospel is what we call a middle space. We're trying to create middle space. You know, at a time that we live in this culture, doesn't it seem like everybody's on one side of an extreme or the other side of an extreme, right? At no other time that I remember, there's such polarization uh, within society. What I love about the gospel and the power of God and the church is that it brings all of those extremes together to a place, not of compromise, but really of coming together in the sense of what is true reconciliation and unity all about. Only Jesus can do that. Only the power of God can do that. So I'm thankful for the way that God is doing that all around our state and our nation where the gospel is being made known. It brings people together. It does not divide and separate us apart. 
it makes us a family when we weren't a family before. So Centerpoint Church is named Centerpoint Church at Remount because we are in the center point of the low country or of the tri-county area of Greater Charleston. Where 26 and 526 connect is called Centerpoint. In fact, you go to Sam's Club or you go to Tanger Outlet, you'll drive around and it says Centerpoint Shopping Center. So there's not another church in that area called Centerpoint. So you ask, well, why did you change the name Remount? Because it's been there since 1947. Don't you love history? I do. In fact, I love this history right here. History tells a story, doesn't it? And the history of the gospel started at this table in this church. Same thing in 1947 at Remount. So there's no way that we're trying to erase gospel history. What we're saying is that gospel history in the life of a church has good chapters, and sometimes it has bad chapters. So as we turn a page for new life and new beginnings, we pray that God writes a new chapter where we are at Remount Church. The community around that area, if you ask anyone in the community about the church You have to describe the church itself, but they don't know the church based on the people in it or the work from it. What they know is the stone building that's at 1520 Remount Road. In other words, they see the church as asleep, and that's how it's been. It's been neutral. Well, let me tell you something. The church of Jesus is not asleep, amen? It is alive and well, but let me tell you who is inside the church. 45 people, faithful godly people that love Jesus, who were there early, early in the early days. They were in the days when, back in 1947, that whole area was growing, and they were adding homes, and the Navy shipyard was just bustling. And that big economic boom allowed that area to be just thriving and sprawling with new life, new families, new growth, all of that. They remember those days. They remember the days when they had 800 to 900 every Sunday morning in church, those 45. And now that had changed. Why? Because in 1996, when the Navy shipyard closed down, the whole economy changed, and therefore the whole community changed. And there was not a contextualization. There was an adjustment from the inside to the outside, or the outside to the inside, where that could actually keep up with that kind of change, that radical change that was going on. So now in that community, it is one of the most diverse communities in all of greater Charleston. Some have said It is the the most diverse area in that dense area in the whole state of South Carolina. Now, I've got to look at the facts to understand that because that blows my mind if that's the case. But I do know that in that community, you can look at it in thirds. In fact, the population is divided up into thirds. You have Anglo, African-American, and Latino populations. And they're really even. In fact, in the next 10 years, that percentage is going to stay the same. But it's going to grow by by another 5,000 to 10,000 people. So that's what's interesting as well, is it's not going to be changing and shifting and that pie is going to look different. It's going to look the same in about five to ten years. So that tells us that we have an opportunity in a middle space to demonstrate what does the gospel look like within a very diverse... This was a middle space where Jesus had done a lot of ministry in the region of Galilee. In fact, it's projected that there were probably around two million people in that whole region. 204 cities and villages that Jesus just exhausted himself. If you'll read the previous chapters in Matthew, you see where he was just pouring himself out, and the disciples were right beside him along the way. And now he's getting ready in Matthew chapter 10 to send them out as laborers. Why? Because they've been with Jesus. They've watched the master laborer work in and among people. And what does it look like to see the kingdom come through a life? in the way that you labor, in the way that you live. 
So before he sends them out, he has this middle space. It's almost like he says, hey, I want you to come, I want you to come in real close for a minute. Let's just, let's just take a breath for a minute. Let, let's process where we are and what's next. In other words, Jesus wanted his disciples, before they went out and did something for him, to know that they wanted, he wanted them to do something with him. And that's different. In other words, he gave the real motivation behind why we need to be laborers in the harvest. Now, what's interesting is you read the text, the most familiar part probably that jumps off the page is that last part that Jesus says, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. Why? Because the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. What an extreme, right, of those two things. When you read that, you go, okay, Jesus is seeing not only what he's been doing behind him, but now he's looking ahead. He's seeing the vastness of the task. It's huge. How are we going to accomplish this? But nowhere in the text that Jesus is saying is he panicking, right? There's no panic. In fact, you can read it through the eyes of pity. You go, Lord, how are you going to get this thing done? Like, are you sure this is what you wanted to accomplish? Like, I don't know that we can do this. Even in that, there's not really pity in this. What he's saying is that the Lord of the harvest is at work, and we have an invitation to partner, to participate. In other words, we're about something that's not going to fail. It is not going to fail. The kingdom is going to be on the move. But the need, oh, the need is overwhelmingly great. And that's what I hear in Jesus' words, that he is weighed down in this. So I want to point out a few things that I think will help us as we leave here and go to work tomorrow morning or go to school or go do what we do during the week to think about what is it like for us, if Jesus was talking to us personally, what is it like for us to go into a place and have a motivation and a view as to how should we live life in the everydayness of life as a kingdom laborer in the harvest that God owns. And may God help us as we see that today. So Lord, this is your word. Speak to your people, speak to me, and show us things to behold from your word. Well, the first thing we see in Matthew 9, 35 is that Jesus shows a way to engage the harvest. He engaged it in the everyday stuff of life. In fact, look what it says there. Jesus went throughout all the cities, and the villages. You know he used the word all a lot? He also used the word every a lot, meaning that Jesus did a lot of stuff. In fact, if you read John's gospel, Pastor Keith, I've always been intrigued by this passage, the last part of John's gospel. It feels to me when I read it like a tall tale in a way. I know it's not because it's God's word, but John said if we recorded everything that Jesus has done on the earth, even the volumes of books in the earth couldn't contain what he had done. Now, I don't believe that's a tall tale. I believe it's true. You could not record it all. So I want you to get the sense in your mind that Jesus, as he's exhausting himself, he was motivated to do it because he was preaching a message about the gospel of the kingdom. He said in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom, what? Come. Thy will be done, where? On earth as it is in heaven. Pastor Keith, you got this, folks. These folks love the word, I can tell. They're speaking back to me. I love it. I love it when it's a dialogue, not a monologue. So thank you for speaking back. This is the word of God, right? We know this, we believe this. But look what Jesus did. He engaged it. He went throughout 
all of the cities and villages. You know what's amazing about God's done at Remount Church? Let me tell you how it got started. Because you might think that because I'm a director of missions, I've got the savvy in my consulting ways to help a church say, hey, you need to get replanted. And I Jedi them, and then it happens, right? Nope, that is not how it works. It's got to be the work of the Holy Spirit. Well, here's what happened. A young couple by the name of Adrian and Lindsay Fernandez had a burden. They wanted to be in the heart of diversity. So guess what they did? They moved into the middle of it. They went throughout the cities and villages and moved there. And when they moved there, they began to reach out to kids and youth out of different trailer parks. If you go to one trailer park, you'll, you'll meet Hondurans. You go to another one, you'll meet Guatemalans. You go to another one, you meet Mexicans. And believe me, they're in their own trailer parks because they have different culture among all three groups. You add a few more cultures in there. Well, they began doing kids club on Saturday morning. And while they're doing it in their backyard, they go to the community center that's just down the road from this very small little community. Well, the community center is probably as big as this stage right here, the inside of that community center. So now they're shoehorning, before COVID, they're shoehorning about 30 kids in that small space. If the weather's good, they're outside. But inside, they got to figure out a way to get under shelter. So what did they do? They needed more space. I said, hey, listen, go to talk to Remount Baptist Church. I know they're struggling. Why don't you ask them, could we use some space that you have available? Well, what did they do? The pastor there said, sure, here's a key to the fellowship hall. Gave it to Adrian and Lindsay. They went in there on Saturday mornings, started bringing all these kids inside. Guess what happened? They brought their moms and dads in there too. Pretty soon the gospel's going out. Now here's what else happened. Remount Baptist Church, some of the members that have been praying for years and they're good history, long history, but struggling history. They came to that fellowship hall on a Saturday morning. They walked in there. I saw a couple come in. I didn't know who they were, but I figured they were with the church. They were just weeping in the corner. Weeping. They hadn't seen this space be used like this in years. So what did God do with that young couple, that hot-hearted young couple that went to this area to start reaching other people? He struck a match with them. He struck a match with them. And what it did, it lit a fire in the heart of the church. So now here I come in as director of missions through the front door, meeting with Pastor Joe, and he's saying, listen, we can't, we can't just, here's what he said, I don't want this church to die on me and me put the nails in the coffin. We've got to do something. I said, we can, brother. I don't know how, but we'll do it. So Adrian and Lindsay became the really first ones to get things started. They were that catalytic spark that kicked off. So I'm so grateful for the way that God used them to get things started. That's how the story began, and that's how we've gotten to where we are. What I love about that is that they engaged the work. They went among the people. The second thing about engaging is clearly is that you have to go among the everyday needs of people. When Jesus went into villages or cities, it says that he went into the synagogue. Now, the synagogue was a great and important place. The synagogue in a small little village was the place not only of worship for the people, the Jewish people, but it was also a place of learning. So in other words, if you have kids, in the morning, you're getting up and you're going to the synagogue to school because you're going to learn about the Torah, the Old Testament law, and you're going to learn about the prophets, and that's your education plan. It was also the place where people came when they were sick. They came because they asked the elders of the church to pray over them for healing. It also was a place that if someone had something like leprosy, that they would go and they would want to know that, it, that they went through the process and that they're, they're cleansed, and they can tell the community, hey, I'm clean now, you can touch me. So it became a place that was a health aspect to it. 
What it was was a part of the community. It was a community center. So when Jesus came into that place, they knew that when a teacher would come, he had what was called the freedom of the synagogue. He could come and teach something as a, a visiting rabbi. So here comes Jesus. He opens the Bible, right, in some of these synagogues where he got in trouble, right? Especially use Keith's, Keith's Bible, you really get in trouble, right? He opened the Bible, and out of Isaiah, he would say, here's the prophet Isaiah, and here's what he says. This today is fulfilled in your hearing. And boy, that created some problems, didn't it? What I love about Jesus showing us that is this. Yes, he was Jesus, and we're not. I get it. But here's the example he was setting for us, is that when we engage the harvest, we engage it in the everydayness of life and among everyday needs of people. People that were healed by Jesus died. They died later at some point. It was a temporary thing. But here is a good king showing what is the kingdom of God like. It's a place where you can come in and find healing and hope in your hopelessness. That's the example that Jesus set. So you think, well, Craig, I don't know how to heal people. I'm not asking to heal people. Only Jesus can heal people. But I'm asking you, are you next to people wherever they are, whatever needs that they have, that you're willing to come beside them and be among them? And that's what Jesus shows us in this reality, is that he came among them. Now, the second thing I want to show you is that we have to see it. Jesus really pointed out this really clearly. It says that he saw the crowds and he had compassion for them. He had compassion for them because he saw them. He just did all this ministry in Galilee, and then he stepped back and he looked. In his mind's eye, he was thinking back to where he had been, and in his physical eyes, he was looking ahead to where we had to go, and he saw the vastness of the need. I really believe that in our busyness of life, the things that often dictate what we do, where we spend our time, listen, I struggle with this thing, it's so great, but then it's a nemesis at the same time, that many times I'm looking down, I'm not looking up. And Jesus is saying, I want you to look out and see it. We have to see it. So sometimes just saying, Lord, help me see what you see. Now, if you were in Remount Road, here's what you would see. Within a very small radius, there's about 21,000 people. It's a very dense area of population. Did you know that easily the same population amount as our area? 21,000. So if you were in that dense area, you walked along Remount Road. In fact, you can pick any time of the day, walk down Remount Road, and people are walking past you. If you're up at 3 o'clock in the morning, which I don't recommend walking on Remount Road at 3 o'clock in the morning, if you're walking out there, there are people walking by. It's almost like a mini New York City, the city that doesn't sleep. It's like the road that doesn't sleep. It's constantly moving. Now, there's a lot of bad stuff moving on that road, let me tell you. Walter Scott was murdered just down the way off Remount Road back in the day with the police officer shooting him in the back. Drugs, prostitution, just kind of off the corner from our church across the street. Going on. The police drive on a street called Sumner Avenue, Avenue that has no stop signs because they need to have the passage to get to something quick because when the shooting happens, they've got to get over there fast. That's happening in our area every day. So when we see what God's doing, we see what's around us, we see just so much brokenness. In fact, the studies show that it's below the poverty level in the state. Um, 
There's so many needs. When Jesus said that he had compassion, or when Matthew said that he had compassion on him, here's what that word literally means. It means to suffer with. Jesus, the man of sorrows, he knew what it meant to suffer. So seeing things and seeing them with compassion is what Jesus calls us to. Let me tell you, tomorrow night is going to be a, quite a night at our church. Uh, I want you to know what you're partnering into and with for us. There's a ministry called Families Count that was started a few years ago by one of our churches. What it is, it's, it's a parenting class. And the parenting class is for every family or any family that goes through the DSS process where there's either alleged abuse or actual abuse. The court will order that guardian or that parent or those parents that they've got to go through a series of steps to get their children back. One of those steps is to go through a parenting class. Well, guess what? Families count is on the list. Now, here's what's interesting. Three years ago, this group from another church in our city went to the the court system and said, hey, we want to be on the list too. They said, okay, well, tell us about your class. Well, we're going to teach them parenting skills about how to have a family that's united. We're going to feed them meals every time they come to meet with us. We're going to watch the kids that are with them that are not separated from the house. And we're going to tell them about Jesus. Every class. Well, you thought at that point the gavel would have fallen down. That ain't happening here. The court said, bring it on. We can't handle the need now. Bring it on. Well, guess what? For three years, this class has been going on. So families come in. They sit down. They get food. They feel love. They hear about principles on how to deal with brokenness. And they keep hearing about Jesus. And they see it in people that are there serving them. Well, this church said, listen, all the people that we're trying to reach, they're driving about 15 to 20 miles to get to our church. This is crazy. And most of them are coming right from your community. Can we come to your space? I said, yes. Lord, please send forth laborers into the harvest. Hey, Craig, can we come to your church? Yes. Thank you, Lord. It's an answer to prayer. So tomorrow night, we have a graduating class of parents. Now, let me tell you about the other class that's been coming through for the past three years. They started a group called Life Together. It's the alumni group of parents that went through. This is not required by the court. They don't have to come. But guess what? Every other Monday night in our education building, there are about 30 to 40 adults that come in there because Jesus has changed their life and has brought their families back together. And they don't want to get away from that community. That's my reminder to wrap it up. All right. I'm telling you, I'm excited what God's doing. And here's the thing, is that we're engaging, we're seeing the harvest, and we are, we are trying to own it. We know what we're doing? Absolutely not. Does God? Yes, he does. Why? He's the Lord of the harvest. I got to tell you one more story. I got to wrap up, I know. We have to own it. You thought you said the Lord's the Lord of the harvest. Doesn't he own it? Yes, he does. But guess what? He calls us in to partner, participate. He calls us to own it. And own it meaning this. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send forth more laborers. Did you know that in our region, look at the next slide here for a minute, you'll see a picture of our area, and on, in that map, you'll see dot, uh, map dots of churches that are there in the Park Circle area. Um, 
Yeah, just keep flipping it. There you go. So there's about eight churches that belong to our association. Now, out of the eight churches, there's only an average Sunday attendance of about 487 between all eight churches. Population, 21,000. That's about 2.4%, right, of the population. Whenever you get to single digits, that's when they usually send missionaries in to an area to reach people because there's unreached people all around you. So in our community, there's an opportunity. Well, here's what's happening. Four churches, along with ours, are meeting twice a month. Pastors, we're meeting twice a month, and we're praying together for the harvest. We're asking Jesus to do something very uncommon among us, and that is that we would own the lostness in this geography together. Here's what we mean by that. That we would be willing to share whatever we have to reach every man, woman, and child and to eradicate relational poverty. We can't eradicate economic poverty on our own, and I'm not sure that's the goal we should shoot for. But relational poverty, people that don't know Jesus and don't have relationship with others, now we can do something with the gospel, right? That's what the gospel remedy is for. So twice a month we pray that God would do a work, and twice a month we pray that we would have our hands open and that an ambition would die, that if my church increases and yours doesn't, but the harvest is being reached, that I will rejoice in that. That's the attitude of these pastors. That's uncommon. That is uncommon. I would even say that is supernatural. See, the question we're asking ourselves is this. If we would say, hey, my church is doing good, but my city is as lost as it was last year and the year before, am I okay with that? Do you think Jesus wants that? Is he okay with that? Not in the way that he went around every city and village, right? What I love about Jesus, he went into the synagogue. He went into the church, the place of learning and teaching and preaching. But then it says he went out as well into every village and every city. So our prayer with these churches is that why don't we become a family of churches within an association and share resources and strategies to the point where it doesn't matter who gets what. What matters is that we reach every man, woman, and child in this geography together. Guess what happened the other day? I'm sitting there, Pastor Keith, we're having prayer. And an Anglican pastor comes in, and he heard about what we're praying about. Hey, guys, I love Jesus too. Is it all right if I join your prayer circle? Because I'd like to see the gospel reach every man, woman, and child in the same area that I'm serving in, in my Anglican church. We said, absolutely. Because we're praying to Jesus in the same way. We believe the gospel in the same way. Let's own it together. So all I can say is that kingdom of God's on the move. And there ain't nothing that I can say that I've done in my own human ability to make it happen. But I tell you what we do every day as I close every day at 9.30 a.m. The alarms of everybody on our staff in our church, they go off at 9.38. And if you're at work, if you're at school, it just doesn't matter. We have one of our teenagers at school this week, the other week, or whenever it was before COVID, or when that was, anyways. 9.38, alarm goes off, and the teacher said, hey, you need to shut off that phone. You can't can't sit your... Well, you see, my church is praying at 9.38, and I really would love, if you don't mind, if I just pray just quietly at my desk. Well, what are they praying for? Well, she got to share with the whole classroom. Well, I'm praying for the work of the harvest, that Jesus' name would be known in this community where my church is and where other churches are trying to serve. Isn't that crazy? But something as simple as that to say, Lord... I'm not only going to pray for it when I think about it, but I'm going to pray for it intentionally. 
at a time when I can just be reminded, let's do this for the sake of Jesus. You know, God doesn't want us just simply to do something for him. He wants us something with him. He calls us to partner. And so I'm just grateful that you said yes to do that with us. And I'm just telling you, uh, the kingdom of God is on the move. It's on the move here in Easley. It's on the move down in North Charleston. And the needs are great. Let's pray that God would continue to work his harvest among us. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are the Lord of the harvest, that you alone can accomplish and do what you set out to do. It's your kingdom, Lord. It's your work. I'm so thankful that we can come and say, Lord, I don't know how this can be accomplished. And you say, you don't have to worry about it. But you do need to engage it. You do need to own it. You do need to see it. And we do need to pray for it. God, help us to earnestly pray with you, the Lord of the harvest, to do what only you can do. Thank you for Mount Airy Church. Thank you for Centerpoint Church, that we are one church. We are your people. Have your way with us, we pray in Jesus' name.